This is a special day, and, and I know it can also be, be hard and difficult for some, but there's something about Father's Day, and I want to encourage us all to sense the importance of this, not the least in days like these, right? Let us decide uh, to, to encourage fathers, to, to, to support fathers, and to encourage them to pray uh, the children in, so to speak, uh, to a walk with God, rather than later on having to pray them out of a walk in the other, in the other direction. There's something powerful for us to be reminded uh, about in this, right? And for those of you who did not grow up in a home where there's uh, any kind of uh, father that is worth even mentioning and, and who has nothing but difficult um, things going on in your, in your mind and in your life when you uh, reflect on these things, uh, may I encourage you to look to the one who is the father. And, and find encouragement there, right? And, and, and look at that. And even as we today are going to look at the father of faith, we have great ways to look uh, for that. And I want to just, uh, just uh, begin with a word of prayer for uh, fathers and for all those of us uh, who beyond that also have had the, the, uh, the, both the challenge and the and the privilege of functioning as, as fathers in, in other contexts and in other uh, situations. So, Father, we ask you that you will be the one who can teach us what it means to be a father or to live like one even when the children are not ours, that we may show the way directly to the Father. And allow us to find encouragement where things are difficult. When we hear horrible, horrible stories of, of what some fathers have done, may we be the ones who can point to the loving, caring, wonderful friend who we also call our Father who art in heaven. May we be inspired even as we look at, at other great fathers throughout history and and here, not the least today, as the father of faith. And so encourage us as we focus now on prayer. As we see how it all began right there. As you call Abraham. And it starts with this prayer. Deeper understanding greater walk, and close understanding to who you are. Amen. There are some of you that are worried about the water uh, behind us. Just, you know, we're in the Baptist church. What do you expect, right? That's, that's what we have here. It's nothing like uh, one place I was at one time, and someone thought it was smart after the baptism and just unplug it and let it out until about 20 minutes into my sermon, or maybe 10 minutes into my sermon, it went... <laughs> You know, as the water was, was coming out, this is a lot better right there. So, uh, with all that said, let me ask you this, right? We were moving last Sunday, and if you didn't have the chance to, to, 
to see that or to hear that or to be part of that, uh, whether you are at home or you're on vacation now also, we invite you to participate in this same way. Uh, you can go back. Last Sunday was, was a kind of a call to, to see the need, the requirement and the necessity of prayer, a call to prayer. And so today we want to ask a question of what, what it looks to kind of push further down and have a deeper understanding of what prayer is about. I think most of us have felt sometimes that prayer basically, uh, you know, went to the ceiling. Uh, we, we expressed some stuff and it, it was like there was nothing more going on. Maybe it had some kind of therapeutic kind of uh, consequence in our own lives that we felt, you know, well, you know, quiet down and, and, and a little bit of balance from praying. But in the end, it was about us telling God about the details of our lives rather than us sitting down and listening to him. Now, when you turn to, to Scripture and you look at someone that, uh, like Abraham, the one we call the father of faith, uh, you'll see some of the opposite going on. It's always God that takes the initiative. It is always God who speaks and Abraham who listens and then brings an answer. God talks. Abraham listens. So... Uh, how come that's not the most common anymore? What, what, what has happened? What, what is it uh, that has caused the reality that now uh, we sometimes are the one who always talks? Have you all ever thought that God sometimes, how do I say this kindly? Forgive me if I use a word you don't like. God sometimes goes, if you would just shut up, I could speak. <laughs> Quiet up. Is it because we feel like Silence is embarrassing, or maybe it's nothing more than an occasion to take a nap. Have we become deaf to God's voice where we have stopped really saying, I need to hear what God is saying? He is still, friends, in the business of speaking. He is still the one who is speaking and wanting us to answer. So to hear God's voice is not necessarily connected with some kind of mystical experience uh, where we in some way or another uh, are able to kind of tune in to, to find God's channel or whatever. It has more to do with paying attention, giving heed, if you will, to God's voice. And don't miss this, friend. This is an important thing. If you, if you go to the New Testament, you'll see that word hear, to hear. It is by far in majority of cases used not to speak about something that is audible to the ear. It is used to speak to something that, that has to do with paying attention, giving heed to what God is speaking. He who has ears, may he hear. Right. That's kind of the... The real purpose. So God speaks as, as we sit down and he's, he's working through our convictions, those convictions that are formed as we sit by his word and listen for his guidance and his voice. So how do we learn to live in this kind of humility before God? The very God who can demand our attention. 
So much can be said about this. The story that, that Rob read for us just a minute ago really might be one of the most misunderstood stories about prayer that we have in Scripture. So many people read this as if it was a matter of being able to dicker about the price, right? Can we get it down from 50, right? Like God was some kind of car salesman that we can approach in that way uh, with our prayer. But when you look at it in the, in the flow of Scripture, you'll see the pivotal kind of weight it has, even in our understanding of who God is. Just think of it. I'm going to do just the broad lines. Why God created and saw all was good in chapter 1. Already in chapter 3, we mess up, right? We say, well, who is God? We're going to do our thing. And we're thinking, well, could it get any worse? Yes, it could. In chapter 6, the whole world is flooded. He said, now it's finally done. No, already in chapter 11, you know, the Tower of Babel is being built. It can't get any worse. And then, then God gives his covenant to Abraham in chapter 12. Right? I'll be your God. You shall be my people. I promise you, you will have land and descendants and blessing through all generation through you. That is repeated again in chapter 15. In chapter 17, it's crystallized after Abraham had tried to work something out himself. And, and God says in chapter 16, you will have a child with Sarah. And then comes chapter 18 right here. It's part of the revelation of, of God. So this is what it looks like to live with me. And so now... Look at this story as we had it read earlier. There's nothing in this story. If you have your Bibles in chapter 18, I'm kind of going to pick it up uh, here. Um, There's nothing uh, in this story that, that hints that Abraham had any idea who it was that was coming to visit him. He, he, uh, he just treated them with great respect and with, with deep courtesy like it was the common practice in that world at that time. But as the conversation develops, just listen up to this here, right? As the conversation developed, it became very clear to Abraham who he had before him. God revealed himself with his knowledge about Sarah and his and her barrenness. He, he made his power visible when, when, he, when he told her that he, she would have a child within a year. And of course, his authority became quite strong and quite visible when she was refusing or denying that she had laughed. And he looked and said, yes, you did laugh. And Abraham understood. There was no doubt who he had. And his eyes and his ear were fully open in attendance, in awareness, and in attentiveness. So, I'm going to ask you, does God have your attention? You know, two ways of reacting to what we just saw here. And we saw that in the reaction of, of Sarah kind of, you know, shrugging her shoulder, standing behind. Yeah, right. That's not going to happen. Or like Abraham, fully attentive to what is now going to happen. This is 
where prayer begins, friends. So I have to ask you about this. When you listen to a sermon, when you sit and you read scripture, are you fully attentive? Does God have your undivided attention? You know, after this early meeting, what follows is one of the most captivating stories in Scripture about prayer. God is described as the one who walks across the the meadows of Mamre conversing with Abraham. And although we know that the Almighty God, the one who holds the galaxies in his hand and and, and, uh, make sure they stay in their orbit, we now see him described as the one who is consumed even with his conversation with Abraham. Is that possible? Well, this is what we see right here. That he even begins conversing with himself a little bit. Should I hide to Abraham what I'm about to do? You see, God is not just the almighty one that we can describe in aloof, distant kind of mechanical terms, if you will. Impersonal. He's also the one who is the loving father. The one who is the caring friend. The one who is the good shepherd. Don't miss this friend. And we marvel. When we stand before a text like this. I hope when you read text like this. That you try to get in under the skin of it. And not just read it like another kind of Bible thing going on. Get under it and, and listen and see what's going on. Why would God bring Abraham into his circle of, of confidence? Imagine the incredible implications that come from such a thing from God, the Lord of endless galaxies, the creator of all life and, and all that exists, the almighty, all-knowing, inscrutable, unfathomable judge over all the angels and demons and, and human beings. God himself, he takes on himself to share his plans. And explain his intentions to a mere human being. Is your jaw dropping? <laughs> it should be, friends. I don't see jaws dropping. It, they should be. Oh, wow. What a God is that. But the Bible says God knew Abraham and he had chosen him. Just look at verse 19, and that word really means that he has made a friend out of him. He had changed the relationship, if you will, between the two. God himself had changed the relationship between the creator and creation, between the judge and the sinner, and added a new dimension. I have chosen this man to be my friend, God said. He is to be my partner. He is to play, play a role in my plans and, and in my counseling. He is to participate in my purposes and my tasks. I've chosen him to be 
my friend. And y'all, it is in this, in this, on this background that we need to understand prayer. This is how we understand our own relationship with God as well. Surely we are the creatures and he is the the creator. Surely uh, we are sinful people standing in front of a righteous judge. Surely we are, are the servants in front of the master. But Jesus transformed our relationship to the almighty. Relationship of all his followers to become like what God is saying here to Abraham. It's Jesus himself who says in chapter 15 of, of John, he says, I call you no longer servants, for the servants do not know what the master does. I call you friends for everything that I have heard from my father I have made known to you. That, friend, is our relationship. And that is the way We understand prayer. And if you're to ever really pray in a new, deep way, you need to understand how this works. If you're his friends, you know that he will share his plans with you, his thoughts. If you're his partner, he will make you a participant in his projects, if you will, Uh, No matter how you look at this, uh, whatever else we may say about prayer, genuine prayer has as its first priority to participate in God's counsel. To sit around in his boardroom, if you will, and let yourself be called into his plans. I, I hope we can, we can see this, right? This will change our prayer. Deepen our understanding of what it means to walk with God and seek His will and His guidance. Our task then no longer becomes a matter of, of, of being able to, to express our own little petitions. Lord, can I get this? Will you do these things for me? Now, the very agenda for our prayer is written up in heaven. And it has to do with the things of the greatest consequence. Prayer now has to do not with with us kind of just expressing our things, but about struggling and wrestling with God until you're able to understand things So that you can say yes when God says yes and no when God says no. I think it was Eleanor Roosevelt that said, you know, great people talk about great ideas of the greatest consequence. Average people talk about their own communities. Small people talk about other folks. God's people engage God with an understanding that we need to participate in the things of the greatest consequence. And God invites Abraham in on the council about Sodom's destiny. 
And the discussion is no longer about, about Abraham's son and all that has been taken care of. God heard that prayer. He took care of it. Nothing more to be added. But now Abraham finds himself shook to the core. What is this? I don't understand, God. How can you act like this? Does God not know that not everybody in Sodom are the same? That, that Abraham even had a relative lot there? That he had met with the king? That he knew several of the inhabitants of the citizens there? And God's intention shook Abraham to the core and it thrusted him into an intense prayer for the city. How am I to understand God when he acts like this? And I wonder when I read stuff like that, why didn't he just say, Lord, if it's your will, let it happen. I don't understand. I'm out. Say good night. Wouldn't that be somewhat of a normal pattern? Is that not what we often do? It's a kind of an easier thing. But instead, we, we, we see this, this person who is terrified from what he hears that this is God's decision. My friends, this is where the school of prayer is taught. The real prayer can only be learned where the friendship of God with God demands that you wrestle and you struggle until you understand so much of God's will that you're actually able to say yes when he says yes and no when he says no. So what can we say about this kind of a easy going, you know, Lord, if it's your will, I don't get it, but that's, that must be what it is, amen kind of prayer. Is, is it not biblical is it not what we are being taught in, in the Lord's Prayer to just pray according to your will? May it happen on earth as it does in heaven? Is it not? Yes. Prayer is about engaging God's will that it will happen. So it is about getting our visions in line with God's vision. But too often, these kind of easy prayers have become an expression of something else. Easy way out, kind of a pseudo-piety. You know, I'm out. It sounds so good. It's about God's will. But in the end, it hinders spiritual growth and depths and desire to know him more. And it is a result. As a result, it has, has, we can find people who have been Christians for 10, 20, 30, 40 years without without any kind of strength of faith or maturity of, of God's presence or, or even depth of spirit. And then we see Abraham's prayer as a mighty contrast to this. What happens here is not Abraham trying to, to kind of make a deal with God. What we see is a person who is desperate to understand God's will and he refuses completely to just accept things as they are. God, what is happening? You can't act like that. Should the one who judges all the earth not do right? The very foundation 
For Abraham's life was in danger. If there's one thing he had built his life upon, it was the trustworthiness and the faithfulness of God. And suddenly God felt like a stranger. I don't understand. What is it that's going on, God? Help me get to an understanding. And it became a wrestling in prayer and the real question suddenly for Abraham is not about the fate of Sodom, but his central point is the understanding who is God and how do I understand who he is and how do I fit into his plans and his deeds. It's one thing, friends, to, to pray for the damned and the doomed. It's quite another thing to kind of struggle and wrestle with God as we see here and even question the integrity of his acts. Are we getting this? And Abraham, of course, get concerned about his own boldness. He saw the insanity in his own word. He said, how dare I speak to you like this? I'm nothing but ashes and dust. But he had to. He had to as one who has been invited to sit at at the table, if you will, in God's boardroom. He had to as the one who has been invited to be a friend of God. He refused to just skate over things as if nothing really deeply mattered. And friends, it's that kind of vehement, persistent, God, I need to walk in your ways, understand what you say. I need to be part of your task. It is that kind of persistence that hinders that we become superficial and powerless and full of Words that makes no real difference. Here's a prayer, friends, that at one at the same time fears God's power and also fear of letting go of God until he has revealed his heart and his desire. It is this prayer that that, that at the same kind of time both fears and longs to be able to kind of Exclaim with Isaiah when he says, Woe unto me, I'm finished, for I've seen the king. And so, let me round up with this. Abraham refused to get go of God until he had shown himself faithful to his word. I need a deeper understanding of who you are, Lord. I need a deeper understanding of what it means to pray, even as God is revealing himself, what it means when he says, I'll be your God, and I'll dwell in your midst. And so, the question of why Abraham ended with 10, we will never understand. But we follow the prayer all the way through. One thing after the other. And at the end, Abraham had had become assured of God's faithfulness and trustworthiness. Every single time, the answer came back from God. I will spare the city for 50. 
I was spared for 45 and for 40 and for 30 and for 20 and for 10. If there are 10 righteous people, I will spare the city. And Abraham got it. I got it. He saw God in a new light. He has understood in a new way. He had grown in his understanding. He had become a greater person with a greater God. The prayer had changed him and his walk and understanding of the Lord. God's purpose of inviting him in had been accomplished. The meeting was adjourned. And Abraham stood back, transformed by his experience and his discovery. God had made himself known to him in the midst of his unfathomable greatness. What I'm asking myself and what I'm asking you this morning is that your desire to have a prayer life and a walk with God that it's not just kind of a, yeah, whatever, but that sinks down deep and that actually transforms your life. One is quick and dirty, getting it done. The other one will wear out your knees. Take time. But everything will change from it. If we stand to sing, I hope some of you would say, hey, I, I, I heard chapter 18 of Genesis. I see where it fits in God's revelatory story, but more important, I hear what it speaks to me. Can we stand, friends? Some of you may want to say, hey, I, I just need to spend. We, we can't have worship service like this. We can't have a, a sermon like this. We can't have a focus like this and just be wondering When do we get out? Let's spend some time praying. Some of you may want to do it here. Some of you may want to do it where you are. But don't just let it. May God transform our prayer and our walk with him.